Um, and Bart, stop underselling yourself. You're, everybody is an authority on this subject more than you know, and everybody has a role to play on this on this topic. So our talk is called uh, Data Driven Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, so first of all, show of hands, who has downloaded and read the data on Kubernetes report, the 2022 report that has just been released. Okay, you did plus, not job. pitch your report enough today because this is a very important um, data set. And uh, you have a lot of experts here who are really familiar with this data, Patrick included, a bunch of folks in the community who um, have been talking about this for a while. Uh, and so we wanted to bring in some of the data from the report and talk about um, really where it can fit in and help us out with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, um, for those of you that saw, many of us did this talk at the last DOK Day, um, and we really dove into uh, the equity part of it, um, because if you're talking about D&I and you're not talking about DE&I, you're really not talking about the accountability part, the wage gap. Uh, so we drilled into that a lot. And so we probably won't do that today because we only have 15 minutes, but go back to the last DOK day and you can check out our talk then. Um, and uh, we, we really had a lot more time to get into it. And then I think we did a follow-up as well, which was like a whole DOK webinar on it. So um, check those uh, resources out. Um, but in the meantime, I think we want to start with, so it, did everyone see Holden's talk? earlier today. Is Holden still here? Oh my gosh, it was it was honestly probably my favorite talk of the day. Holden's talk was about um, Spark and Yarn and nothing to do with um, bias, but I love how she started her talk with a slide about bias and saying, you know, here's my bias that's written, unwritten into um, my talk and gets written into my data because these are the biases that I have and these are what you should know about, um, including the fact that she loves her dog. And it was fantastic to see all the dog pictures. But we really, uh, I, I thought that was a nice tie-in to now the end of the day where we're talking about bias that, um, that gets into data uh, unconsciously or even sometimes consciously. Um, so let's start with the, the data on Kubernetes report. One of the things that um, it talked about, the, uh, the, the second thing, uh, pain point, I guess, the first was security, but the second pain point was the talent or um, lack of talent, whether it's writing uh, operators, you know, Kubernetes operators, or um, just hiring and because you, you're building your own, you know, you basically need to have, if you're a car company, all of a sudden 20,000 software engineers also, and now they all have to be Kubernetes experts, right? Who has that? So you see all of these industries trying to hire. So I would love to hear Melissa talk a little bit about um, that skills gap that that's causing and also the employment opportunity that that's uh, bringing us. Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't seen the data on Kubernetes report, please download it. It's on our website. Um, the stat that Lisa is talking about is in this report this year, organizations are, are adopting Kubernetes, data on Kubernetes like crazy. And the number two challenge that they, set, that they identified was a lack of qualified talent. And this gives a lot of people an opportunity to build skills around DOK, join the community and find employment. And the, uh, Pairing with that, another data point in our survey that, that um, uh, connected was 41% of them are looking to hire or reskill in the next three to six months. So there is a huge need for data on Kubernetes skill set now and will be in the future as these things continue to grow. Um, one of the key ways that women and other underrepresented minorities can participate in, in um, learning skills like this is community. Uh, open source is all about people. Technology is all about people. The way you can connect with people is in communities like ours, 
in communities like Kubernetes. Um, it's a way to, as Holden said earlier, she's hiring. I'm guessing a number of other people in this room are hiring. In open source, in communities, is a great way to make connection with peers and other folks globally around the world um, who can help advance your career. And I'm curious, with the rest of this group, we're all in different communities. What's been your experience with communities? Have you seen that be a path to career growth? For me personally, it, it has been my path. Wait, Courtney, I don't think your mic is on. Was, was Courtney's mic on? Could you hear? Oh. Oh, is that better? Yes. Yeah, okay, speaking up. So for me personally, um, community was a total path to career growth in tech. Um, I do not come from a technical background. A, and I jumped into tech specifically through community. And it's been a fantastic journey so far. Um, but especially for anyone who is not tech background oriented, it can be daunting journey. And I mean, I personally really struggled um, with, with my own insecurities about whether I'd be able to understand the people that I was talking to. And communities are a fantastic place to get past that um, insecurity that can, that can arise when you don't have a computer science background, obviously. So for me, this is a starting with that on Kubernetes community and moving now into a DevRel role for a startup. Um, my, my personal professional growth in, in this industry has been spectacular thanks to community. And we just have to do one thing because I love how Courtney says she's not a technical person. She just completed the CKA course today and has the button and has got the certificate. Can we give her a round of applause? She did that today. Yes. Yes. All right. Now that I've thoroughly embarrassed her. Um, okay. I also, one of the talks earlier today was talking a, a little bit about ML and AI. And this is a place where a lot of bias gets written into technology. Um, you know, it might be machine learning, but it was still created by human beings. And there's a whole bunch of ethics questions around this. So um, luckily we have data scientist expert up here. So I want to ask Tiffany to talk to us a little bit about what's going on with um, bias and ML and AI. Yeah, I would love to share more. And I love what Courtney said about community because that's just a big thing for us as well in machine learning. I think there's a lot that people don't know about data science and building data product teams, especially because it's somewhat of a uncharted territory and in industry. And the more that you can contribute back to the community or at least be able to share what you're doing, the more transparent it becomes. And so you don't have all these questions about like, why is this? Well, you'll still have those questions, but you'll ha you'll begin to have a more curious approach to how can you edit and make models better because you know a lot of times we're building these software solutions and we deploy them with the thought that like this is going to be it you know this is this is the solution and in machine learning and data in the data world the data changes right and then the patterns change and we see that a lot and you have to be willing to when you put something out in production be willing to look at that again and see if there are biases and see how it impacts people because i think that's a really big part of that AI, ML, data science lifecycle that we can bring into and borrow from, like practice-wise from the community. And Andre, you um, have <laughs> done some work in this area as well and had some thoughts to share with us. Yeah, so I'm a producer of open source data podcasts where we had a professor, David Dinks. He's a computer science and philosophy professor from UC San Diego and has done extensive research in computational 
um, cognitive science. And what he touches on is um, starting with ethics from when people are students, right? So a lot of the issues that we're finding or that he's seeing is um, the, you know, the people and their core values. You know, ethics is super basic. And he gave an example of, you know, if you're driving to a meeting and you're going to be late, are you going to race and, you know, not abide by the law or are you going to be on time to your meeting? And so those inner conflicts are what we deal with daily. Um, and the point being is that we need to bring those core values to, with us to work and have these ethical conversations when we have uh, dilemmas come up. And it doesn't need to be a whiteboard. You know, it just is being brave enough to um, mention it to your colleagues in a group setting. Yeah. Another thing that um, is creating this skills gap is uh, the fact that during the pandemic, a lot of women left the workforce in tech and have not come back, right? We've seen a lot of data on this um, for various reasons. And we used to talk about this because we all tried to build inclusive communities um, and where people don't only join but stay. Um, and But now we have people leaving for completely different reasons. And um, that skills gap, especially with uh, underrepresented minorities, grew because of personal situations. And so if you came from privilege and you could have you know, hire daycare or had, you know, computers in your house already, or just lots and lots of reasons why there's a lot of people that struggled a lot more during the pandemic than, um, than the, some of us are very privileged and fortunate. Um, and so we just heard that 41% of the companies are hiring within three to six months for this particular technology skill. Um, and that's in, the, in a recession when a lot of companies are, are doing layoffs, right? Or recession, not recession, whatever we're in. Um, but so how are we going to get the, you know, with the challenges that a lot of people still have, um, and we were just having an interesting discussion about who is working from home, who is coming back to the office. And Kim brought up some good points about if the women are staying home because we can work from home, um, because the kids are back in daycare, is that causing clicks in the office? Like who, you know, what, what networking is happening? So I would love to hear, you know, whoever wants to jump in on that. And maybe Melissa, you want to start, um, just talking about how we're going to bridge that skills gap. Well, it's, it's interesting. I've read a few different studies and listened to a lot of different research on how can you keep women and underrepresented minorities in the workforce. And some of there are a lot of different ways to do this. Um, many of them start organizationally, where can you provide things like daycare, paternity leave, maternity leave, you know, things like this that that enable people to um, have a work life, do have work and life balance. And I think we need to, if you run an organization or are in um, creating these types of policies for an organization, really think about that because this is a way you will get get and retain people in your workforce. Um, so that type of research, um, we need more of that in this world. Where would you suggest um, people start? Like when it's coming to hiring, uh, you know, people will say, well, it's a pipeline problem. And there's a few of us that just refuse to let you off the hook for saying it's a pipeline problem, right? So where would you recommend um, that we start to solve this problem? Anyone who wants to jump in on this? I mean, is it in the schools? Is it the, are we looking in the wrong place? Are we training in the wrong place? I love the program. BART is constantly shouting out about in, you know, uh, technology skills in prisons in within incarcerated staff. So when uh, the incarcerated 
people come out of prison, they can go straight into tech jobs. It's an amazing program that the DOKC has supported from the very beginning in every single webinar that you do in every live stream. Um, Bart makes sure that some money goes to this organization, which the last mile, is that what's called? Yeah. Um, amazing uh, organization. So we need more of that, right? So how do we make more of that happen? If I may, uh, Bart actually has this awesome idea that I'm trying to elevate at the Kubernetes Community Days program that I run with CNCF, and it's called CNCF Firsts. And so what we're trying to do is elevate voices that would normally get rejected at a KubeCon, for example. And so part of that is becoming a mentor. So perhaps the ambassador program that we have includes that. And um, yeah, if you just give people that, um, that skill set in their back pocket and elevate them, then the confidence is there. Um, and then part of that is expanding your network, which goes back to the community question and really is all about who you know. So <laughs> make your network fast if you can. Yeah, um, I would echo what um, Audra and Melissa said about starting with opportunities. And I don't think that there's one like golden solution. Like we, uh, like the best that anyone can really do is start where they are and what we, what, 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 oh gosh, with what you have. And that can be something as simple as like offering to mentor someone or offering to write a blog post that can help that's geared towards someone who's just starting out, you know, and, or sharing your experiences as a data engineer or as a data scientist. I think small things like that can help inspire people to take their journey to the next step, especially when they are like overcome by a lot of um, uh, challenges that like a lot of us, like who are in tech now, we've kind of, um, We've kind of solved for some of those things or we don't think about them as much because you know that's kind of sort of after the fact right but for the folks that are just like waiting for that one opportunity or that one reason to stay in for in tech for another day you know a big like a, a big difference can just be you reaching out to them or you saying like hey i noticed that you're new to this or you're just learning or just starting out like how can i help or i'm happy to be a resource and it can be something as simple as like a linkedin request and you can help sort of be a mentor or even just a leader um, for those people to, to understand that there, there may be a path for them. And I would say also, I, I had this experience with Melissa um, in the data and Kubernetes community. I was like, Melissa, I, I really want to stay in this industry. I'm not really sure what my skill set can do or where I can fit in. And she said, well, why don't we have a 15, 30 minute call and talk about it? Um, those very small things. Yes, time is of the essence. Nobody has enough of it. But the 15, 30 minute call with somebody who is taking an interest and just doesn't know where to go is priceless. Um, that call, frankly, made a huge difference for me uh, in, in understanding what my skill sets were in the tech industry, not in a different one. Um, so sometimes mentoring happens without you even realizing that you're doing it. You're just being helpful and kind and kindness makes the world turn. So personally, I, I think that that is something that everyone can proactively do. And one of the other things that I always think is very cool um, is when I come across a tool that has documentation that's definitely developer first, but not always experienced developer first. Um, that has some sort of 
entry point where somebody who's just getting started can actually understand what's going to go on and walks a very beginner level through or has a link to a YouTube video where somebody gives a very beginner tutorial. These are things that are super helpful, um, not just to people who are just starting out, but sometimes to people who are transitioning from development into DevOps, for example, and they're learning operations and they really don't have any experience there. So those types of actions are, are small, but very impactful. And I'll just make an offer to, if anybody wants um, to talk about um, how you can get started and be okay, please reach out to myself. And I am guessing anyone on this panel would be okay with that as well. Absolutely. Bar has started this um, first speaker initiative as well and challenged everybody. Bart and I are also CNCF ambassadors and challenged the, all of the CNCF ambassadors, most of us who run pretty large user groups, to reach out and find the first-time speakers, those folks who have never given talks before, uh, especially from an underrepresented group and uh it's not hard to do it's i mean we've both just like done it multiple times in the past month so it you can do this you just you have to be deliberate about it courtney just texted her manager and it was like hey you know we're from a pretty diverse company and i'm from a pretty diverse company and like hey you know let's let's do how, let's talk about how we did this and i i'm sorry if i'm putting you on the spot but um her manager was very sweet and he was like oh i don't really want to brag about that and i was like that's it's not bragging, but if we're not deliberate about this and talking about how we do it, it's not going to happen, right? This is not, obviously, because we haven't been deliberate about it, and that's how we got in the position that we're in. So if you're not deliberate about this, and if you have something to share, then, you know, by all means, please share it and talk amongst your friends and let's hold everybody accountable for this. Um, one other thing about the report that I thought was really interesting, and then Bart, I don't know if you want us to take questions or if you want us, I, I know we're keeping you from beverages, so um, I'm aware of that. But, uh, but one other thing I'll say about the report, because I really do want everybody to, to look at the data in this report, that the folks did a great job putting it together. Um, it is accessible to you as part of DOC, D data on Kubernetes community members. Um, but one of the things they did is tying it back to um, like production, Kubernetes um, workloads, and the productivity and finances, quite frankly, that come out of that, the economics of it. And a lot of the um, early adopters are showing a lot of profitability from running these stateful workloads in Kubernetes. And it kind of made me thinking about the concept of um, generational wealth. You know, you hear people talk about this. This is a real thing especially in the United States, because, you know, if you don't own a home or you can't have family that passes things down, if you don't get that starting point to have a head start, the gap is so hard to overcome. And so you see this, um, you know, between the haves and have nots, and a lot of it comes from generational wealth. And we have the same thing in technology. So if you think about the companies that came in early and, you know, adopted Kubernetes and started running stateful workloads on Kubernetes, you can see in this report how well they're doing now. So my point here is about lending privilege. And what, what we're all trying to say is, if you are one of those fortunate companies and you are profitable because of this thing you figured out how to do, help people along. Like there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of uh, gap filling that we need to have happen, but it has to happen deliberately. So lend that privilege, you know, give that education, um, figure out how to bring someone along who's going to be, um, who's not clearly represented today during in this skills gap that we've been talking about. Any, any more thoughts on that? I don't know if someone can say that a little more clearly than I just kind of mumbled that out, but all the data is in the report, but I'm just giving you another way to think about some of that data. That's great. Thank you for talking about it. 